you hear Fiji, what do you think of? For me, it's the glorious heat, the pristine sandy beaches, the swaying palm trees, the rugged landscapes, the friendly smiling locals, and of course, island time. Everything is just so relaxed and chilled and it's easy to see why so many people pre-COVID chose Fiji for their getaway. But for my guest today, Fiji isn't just some pretty holiday destination, it's home. Belle was born in Suva, the capital of Fiji, after her parents moved to Fiji from China in the early 1980s. She lived there until she was 15 and then moved with her parents and her brother to Auckland, New Zealand. And that's when we met, when she started at the same high school. Belle has always had such a strong connection with her Fijian upbringing and it really shows through her easygoing nature, the touches of island influence that she adds to the events she puts on and the deep love she has for the communities that she's a part of. Welcome to the podcast, Belle. Thank you so much for joining me. Now, you've been quite a busy bee lately. You've been flying all over the place looking at wedding venues, haven't you? Hi, Teo. I wouldn't say flying everywhere, but we're just starting yeah, wedding planning and looking at venues, um, starting with Queenstown this weekend. Really excited to see what it's like. And then, yeah, that will kind of guide us towards the rest of the wedding planning. Now, I bring that up because actually you were supposed to get married in August this year in Fiji, right? Yes, that was sort of our dream um, wedding destination. Not only is it somewhere close to my heart, it's my home. It's where um, my extended family and friends are as well. And unfortunately, due to the recent environment, we can't. And um, I know everyone else who's wedding planning as well is experiencing the same issues. But I guess we just have to go with the flow and um, do what we can control. When we met in high school... You were the first Chinese person I'd met from Fiji who was born and raised in Fiji. Until I met you, I had actually no idea that there were even a lot of Chinese people in Fiji or in the Pacific Islands at all. So can you just tell me your story, like how your parents got to Fiji and growing up in Fiji? Funny you say that because that is usually the first response as well. And it comes as a surprise because growing up in Fiji, there were a few of us and we never saw us as a minority as such. We we saw lots of Chinese. We're like, oh, yeah, we're from Fiji. So we expect a lot of us. But uh, talking back to my parents moving to Fiji, they moved to Fiji because they wanted a better future. And in that generation, uh, people just wanted to move out and start fresh with whatever skills they had or if they had to learn or upskill, they did that. So they moved to Fiji because there was an opportunity for dad to move as part of his art career. And I guess they just um, decided that would be home for them and stayed. So just to give some context as well, your parents are from Canton in China? Yeah, so dad is from a place called Shunda. And he actually grew up in Guangzhou and mum is from a small town called Enping, but it's no longer a small town. It's sort of a city now. Okay. So I guess your parents, like so many of our parents in their generation, they grew up with the whole cultural revolution, with the aftermath of cultural revolution and all the policies that Mao Zedong put into place. And so I guess they just wanted a better future for themselves and their children. Yeah, I think the out, they wanted a better outlook for the next generation. And I think they felt that moving out of China 
would be the next best thing for them at that time. So they took that leap of faith and decided to just do it. I know that in that sort of time, there was like an agreement or something with the Fijian government and with China to allow Chinese migrants to go to Fiji. But do you know why your parents specifically chose to go to Fiji? I think they didn't have many options. And when it was options to go to other countries, and Fiji was sort of the only country on the table at the time um, that dad could take, and so he just took it. And I remember him saying that he actually wanted to go to the bigger countries like New Zealand or Australia, and they did do a stopover in Australia, and they thought how life could be different if they just stayed. But they carried on with their journey, yeah, as planned, to Fiji. Okay, and so when your parents went to Fiji, what did they do? Dad went with a background in arts, in Chinese calligraphy, and when he first moved there, he knew straight away that that wasn't going to make him money. And growing up in a big family, they all had to learn different trades and skills and be self-sufficient. So Dad had a bit of background in cooking and also in woodworks. So when they moved there, the first thing they did was try and find some local Chinese who can speak the same language. Um, they were really fortunate to come across a family who um, invited them to their home. And so they pretty much lived in their living room and worked their way through by doing odd jobs around the house. So they got the accommodation free that way because they had limited cash with them at the time. So that's how they worked their way through. And they did odd jobs like house renovations, provided that for free for food and accommodation. And then over time, I think they were able to save some money and then moved to the mainland. So they actually moved into uh, an island called um, a place called Lombasa, uh, which is not in the main city at all. And so they were able to connect with this family and um, get some pocket money out of that and move to the main centre. What kind of life did they leave in China compared to when they came to Fiji? They had a really humble life growing up in China um, to the point where they left. Mum spoke fondly of just the poor living situations and just limited food availability, the rationing and just lots of family life. Everyone was just into their home gardening and that's how they were feeding themselves and just parents doing jobs with a really low income. Your parents eventually were able to set up a restaurant, right? Yeah. So they were really fortunate to meet the right people along the way. And so they came across another local Chinese gentleman who owned some properties in Fiji. And when they heard of my parents' struggles and their goal to start a business, he pretty much offered them a place. Actually, before they offered them the restaurant, my parents found a, a takeaway place where they started selling takeaway food and they saved up enough money to be able to afford the rent at this restaurant that this guy offered. They found uh, a downstairs flat, a, a walking distance from the cafe or uh, takeaway. Back then, it wasn't as secure walking out in public at nighttime when they closed the takeaway. So dad used to say they would take all of the tablecloth and things that need to be washed at home and he would carry sort of a machete on, on the side, just sort of hiding it in between all the stuff that they had to carry. And I, I was piggybacking or even just on his shoulders and the three of us would just walk back home sort of on a daily basis like that. I think when you move into a new country and you live with a, a different ethnic group that you're not familiar with. You tend to be uncertain about your safety. 
So that, I think that's how they thought um, they could tackle that and make sure the family's safe. What was your childhood like then in Fiji? From what I remember, I thought it was very fun and chilled. We did a lot of things outdoors. We didn't have a lot of nice toys as such, but I think we got along just fine with the bare minimum. Were there a lot of other Chinese people around you? Did you have a Chinese community or did you spend more time with the local Fijians? When we had the takeaway, my parents made friends with a local family. Well, the man of the house was half Chinese, half Fijian, and the wife was Fijian. Um, and we got really close. So I would spend a lot of time there just because my parents couldn't look after me while I was little. They used to just put me in the pram in the takeaway. And because dad's in the kitchen, mom's front of house, they're both really busy. And when I do cry, sometimes they just have to let me cry. So this kind gentleman walked in just to check up on me and and they could speak Cantonese. So they spoke to my mom and said, are you okay? Do you need someone to look after your baby? Um, my wife can do that for you. And so they were really grateful. And I think having someone who could speak the same language, the trust was there. And so they let me go to their house while they're working. And I call them Ma and Pa. And so I grew up with them and their kids. And they're my second family, pretty much. And so I think my Fijian sort of influence came from them, um, knowing the culture and the language. And the funny thing was, um, Ma used to tell me that I was quite fluent in Fijian. And it was only till I got maybe till around four or five, and my parents wanted me to learn English. So told Ma to stop talking to me in Fijian and talk to me in English. Oh, she must have been so sad to hear you say that. Uh, I don't know about sad. I think she was just, yeah, I guess just doing what my parents wanted her to do. But yeah, I still retain very little, but enough to sort of make jokes here and there with my um, Fijian friends. Do you think there are many similarities between Chinese culture and Fijian culture? Definitely. I think the family, the love for your family and doing everything for your family is is very similar in both cultures. Lots of family gatherings and and I think that's where it all starts, the family unit in all celebrations and overcoming any hardship. It's always family first and then go from there. So I feel like that's quite common. And very important thing about respecting your elders in the Fijian culture is you never speak or talk back to your elders and you respect them no matter what and you take what punishment you get from them and accept it. And I think that's quite similar. So did your parents have a difficult time adjusting to life in Fiji, considering the different language, but also those similarities in culture? Like, Do you know what it was like for them? Yes, very difficult. First thing, the language barrier, the change of environment, the food, and they didn't have any friends. They didn't know anyone before moving there. So it was just a leap of faith. And I think what motivated to carry on was just the future benefit of the next generation. And so they just overcome all of the homesickness and the poverty. I mean, they knew that it was only short term and they're very hardworking. So they knew that they could get out of it if they just worked hard. And so I think that they just focused on that. Did they always envision a future where you and your brother stayed in Fiji? Or did they always want you to move on? They've always wanted to move on. I think Fiji was just a good stepping stone to bigger things. I remember when it was we were in high school or yeah, beginning of high school and 
they were looking at ways of sending myself and way overseas. They mentioned to us that they've started saving from since we were in primary. So they they were doing lots of research. So throughout primary school, they were asking friends who've sent their kids overseas how much it'll cost, and they were aiming to reach that amount. But then due to the political instability, they decided that moving as a family would be a better option um, instead of separating the family unit. But initially, yeah, they wanted to send Wei and, my, and myself to either Australia or New Zealand. I know it was very costly to send us as international students. So they weighed the pros and cons. And it was just, I think, cheaper in a way to, to move as a family rather than sending us as international students. Do you know the different ways that your parents used to save that money so that they could move the whole family over? From the years I've seen them, they've been very efficient at just living by the bare minimum in terms of food, buying material objects. Dad used to make everything. The furnishing at home and the takeaway in the restaurant, he would make all the tables, do all the welding himself to save money on costs. And if they could get away with not hiring any staff, they would do it. So in the takeaway, it's just the two of them. And I guess when they upgraded the restaurant, they could afford to hire staff. But if there, if there wasn't a necessary um, need for anything, they wouldn't go ahead with it. But in saying that, they also know how to splurge in um, areas that they feel is necessary. So our education, like growing up, they never restricted us to any educational um, activities. If it's for school, it wasn't a problem at all. So you guys came to New Zealand in... 2000 and uh, 2003, we moved to New Zealand. Do you remember what it was like for you, firstly, learning that you guys would all be moving to New Zealand? You know, you're leaving this community that you've grown up with, that you were super close with, and you were like 14, 15, and that's a super hard time to just exist in general, and then having to move countries. Do you remember what it was like for you then? I think when you're living in a bubble, I felt like in Fiji, moving overseas was an excitement. Growing up, we never had the luxury of traveling overseas a lot. So when when someone travels overseas, it's like, oh, how was it? And they would always bring back um, souvenirs from overseas. So for us, I think as um, teenagers, we wanted to move overseas. As much as we missed the family and the lifestyle, we saw it as a plus. And I guess that excitement made us forget about what we'll miss temporarily. And so when we came over, I personally didn't think of missing my friends because most of them also um, moved overseas. So it was just like a journey that all of us are going through and we could talk about it. But I definitely missed the schooling system we had. I think I was used to more of a structured and strict schooling system. Do you remember what you thought of New Zealand culture and society when you first got here? When I first got here, the first thing I thought of was how cold it was. Even though it was summer, I was dressed really warm and I'll go out and see everyone in like their singlets and shorts. And I'm like, how do they do it? Like, this is so cold and how am I going to survive winter? Because what's Um, the average temperature in Fiji? It's always in the 30s, like 30s to like high 30s sometimes. But yeah, we're so used to that warmth. I also was excited, but also scared about going into school. I didn't know what to expect, because you always hear stories about bullies and things like that. 
growing up in Fiji, we we live in a you know small knit community, and everyone knows everyone in school, uh, so we're all friendly towards each other. So I just wasn't sure what to expect, and I think that was quite scary coming to school and not having any friends. I think not just in our school, but just in any high school anywhere in the world, it's probably super hard to get into the clicks and things. Yeah, yeah I, I found that I had to like try and be someone else in some ways. You just feel like, what else can I do to like fit in? Dress differently? Like, do I need to buy new clothes or act differently? Or yeah, just different things run through my head at the time, just so that I can find uh, some friends to hang out with and did be you, part. Did you find many cultural differences between how Kiwis acted and how Fijians are or anything like that? It's hard to compare because back home we've got our own friends and we know everyone. Everyone's very chilled and we're open to talking to everyone. Whereas here I find you have your friend groups and then you sort of snob everyone else. Yeah, a lot of, I don't know, people talking about other groups and and things like that, which I wasn't used to. A lot of um, negativity that I sense just in general. Mm. Interesting. I hear that a lot with, so I'm in like an international women's group and I hear a lot of foreigners who come to New Zealand and they really want Kiwi friends. They're in New Zealand. Of course they want New Zealand friends, but they say that it's very, very difficult to make Kiwi friends because it's so hard to get into Kiwi circles because I think generally people stay friends with people they've known since they were at school, since university, and it's so hard to break into those circles. And it can be quite isolating, but also really difficult, especially if you do want to assimilate fully into society here. So for you, do you identify more as Fijian? I do, in fact. I feel like I I know more of the Fijian culture, and if you put me back in that in that Fijian community slash society, I would fit in straight away. But if you've put me into a Chinese community, I feel like I need to uh, work my way through and try and learn more of it. Try not to say the wrong things. Just try and fit in. I would have to try and fit in. So when people ask you where you're from, what do you say? Initially, I would say I'm from Fiji and they'll give me a weird look and say, you, you don't look Fijian. And so I've learned to adjust my response. And so I tell them I'm Chinese. And then I'll then add on that I'm from Fiji. And then they give me weird looks and they're like, but you, you, you don't look Fijian. And I'm like, I grew up there. I had the same experience when I lived in Japan. So people would ask me, where are you from? And I'd, I always said, I'm from New Zealand. And then they would be like, really? Like, we didn't know that New Zealanders, like, we thought white people were in Māori. But then... I'd have to basically tell my whole life story and I got sick of that. So then I would say, oh, I'm Chinese. But then, you know, there's a certain prejudice against Chinese people. Also for me personally, like just saying that I'm Chinese isn't the full story. I think for third culture kids like us, you can't just be like, I'm from China, end of story. There's just so much more background to it that is part of your identity and is part of your story and which you want to tell people. I definitely feel the prejudice because when I say I'm Chinese, I, I, I could sense the prejudice. And then when I add on that I'm from Fiji, they kind of change their outlook and they, I feel like they'd want to talk to me more and learn about that part. 
Speaking of which, though, in Fiji, did you feel like there was a lot of clashes between the Chinese community and the local community or other communities in Fiji? There were some clashes. I mean, when I grew in sort of my generation, when I grew up, we felt I felt like we got along. But then you you do get those prejudiced comments from the local kids who are probably not exposed to the multicultural aspect of Fiji. But because I lived in the city area, everyone was quite accepting of the different cultures, and we hung around the same friend group circle. So we're all quite accepting. So we didn't feel that prejudice that much. But I know if you do go to the more rural places, there definitely will be some prejudice. What about other Chinese people? So like mainlanders or Chinese people who immigrated to other countries. Did you ever experience any sort of discrimination or prejudice from other mainlanders? I think as we were growing up, we were getting more and more、um, mainlanders coming into school, and I do see that in school where they would sometimes have those snide comments or or tease them, or maybe will not integrate with them as easily. But I think it just took time. It just took time to understand them. So our the school I went to, I guess. Probably a reason why we didn't feel prejudiced as local Chinese was because it was a Taiwanese school, so it was called Yetsen Primary School. A lot of Chinese kids would go, would attend the school. I guess parents just felt more comfortable sending their kids there. To what extent then did you connect with your Chinese culture growing up? We had to learn the Chinese culture in the Chinese and Mandarin in school. It was compulsory, regardless of where you, what your background is. So that. That helped, and I think just with with my parents because they are not fluent in English, and so we had to speak Chinese at home, Cantonese. I would say our upbringing was quite limited in terms of our cultural education because they worked a lot.、Uh, we spent more time with Ma, who、um, pretty much looked after us until my parents sold their restaurant. So we would hardly see our parents. It was just on their. They didn't even have an off day. They worked seven days a week. In the morning, they'll be asleep when we get up for school, and then when we go to bed, they're not home yet. So it's those rare occasions where they decide to have a family weekend away. That's when we'll have family time. And I guess they realized that. I think when I was in class eight, they made the decision to sell the restaurant because they knew that they were not spending enough time with us. Do you feel like you and your brother missed out on a lot, not just spending time with your parents, but also learning about your own culture? On reflection, I would say yes, but at the time we didn't know anything better, so we just accepted that was life. And I guess because my parents moved out of China for so long, and they don't、uh, religiously exercise those cultural beliefs and activities, so Mum wouldn't know a lot of cultural practices. Because I remember asking her, like, "Do you know how to make this sweet?" My friend's mum makes them, and she's like, "Oh, I never got taught." Because、uh, she had to work through her teenage years to support her family, I realized as I grew up, I wanted to be closer to my Chinese heritage. I think I accepted it more, and I believe it's my point of difference. Growing up, I wanted to disassociate myself from the Chinese community. I felt like it was just not as cool,、uh, not as accepting by my friends, and so if I was more like them, I would be more accepted. So. Growing up, I would try not to associate myself with the Chinese community. Always try and focus on I'm from Fiji, like that's where I'm from. 
Just giving a bit of context, when you transition from the primary school to the secondary school uh, in Fiji, if you are of Chinese ethnicity, you have to learn learn the Chinese language. So you have to enroll in the Mandarin class. So you're either in the advanced or just the normal class. When I transitioned, I was quite defiant and I enrolled myself in the Chinese culture class, which is normally for the other ethnicities ah, okay. because they can't learn Chinese. Yeah. And so unless they really have the desire to, I guess they can enroll in the Chinese language class. At that time, all the friends I usually hang out with were in the Chinese culture class. In the, in the Chinese language class, there was a mix of local Chinese and those from mainland as well. And I felt like I didn't fit in to that group. And I associated myself with the non-Chinese group. But looking back, I thought, how silly is that? I could have learned more of my Chinese heritage language as well. But I feel like you've learned to embrace it over the years. And like you speak Mandarin now because <laughs> I think part of it is because you get so many like mainland Chinese people who speak Mandarin at your branch, right? Yes, that. And we got lots of customers. And when they see me, automatically they start speaking to me in Mandarin. And it's so frustrating when I can't answer them back. So I make an effort. I make an effort to respond to them. And then my colleagues give me tips and teaches me a few phrases here and there. So I do pick up a bit more Mandarin. And it's quite useful, actually, to know another language. And so I've embraced that and I'm trying to learn more. Yeah, for sure. Did you also, when you were growing up, I don't know how many Chinese people randomly tried to speak to you in Chinese on the street, but I would get it quite often. And back when I was younger, I also felt the same. I also didn't want to be Chinese or be associated with being Chinese. And so sometimes... I would pretend to not understand them because I didn't want to speak Chinese with them, which as an adult now, I'm like, that's terrible. And I would happily help anybody who needed help in Mandarin now. But back then I was like, nope, don't want to talk. So I don't know if you also had little experiences like that. I did. Growing up, when you're a kid and you know Cantonese, sometimes you come across situations where you know you could have helped probably not to the fullest extent, um, but I would just ignore the situation and just walk past, which is really sad at the time. But when you're a kid, you're like, I don't want to be like involved in this. But now, even if I do struggle, I try. And I tell my customers or whoever that my Mandarin's not great, but I, w- I will try and help you if I can. Yeah, because when you're a child, you don't really understand the context. You don't understand anything, really. <laughs> but... As we've gotten older, we've learned more about our parents' struggles and where they've come from, but also been able to sort of understand a lot more about the story of migrants as well who come into New Zealand or Fiji or wherever not knowing the local language, not knowing the local culture, and just the struggle of doing daily life in a country like that. I think we're a lot more understanding of that now that we're older. Yeah, I think we're now exposed to sort of the other cultures experience the same things. I think growing up, you think it's just Chinese and China. But then when you go to a different country, they also experience the same thing. It could be a different language, but for them, they experience the same thing. So you like try and, um, yeah, change yourself a little bit. So pre COVID, you often went back to Fiji, right? Like every year or something. Yeah, I would always go back because all my friends would get married and we all 
usually decide to go back home to get married because that's where our roots are and we feel more comfortable. And so I would still see my friends and I still see Ma and extended family. Have you noticed a lot of change over the years, especially with regards to new Chinese migrants? Definitely. You walk into the, to like the city center and you, you can easily pick out who are the new migrants and who are the ones, the original migrants. And um, what do you mean? Just by the way they dress and by the way they act, I feel like the older migrants tend to be more integrated with the, with the Fijian society and they dress more like a local and they do sort of talk to everyone like more of a lo- local, whereas the new migrants tend to dress like, it's hard to explain, but like you could tell they're from mainland China. I um, think it's one of those cases where if you know, you know, right? <laughs> yeah. If, <laughs> You can you can totally tell they just look out of place because you you're on an island you you tend people tend to dress to fit the climate and the new migrants tend to stand out because they might be wearing sort of the branded gear and I guess the way they hold themselves in the community as well I mean they come up, they come with a bit of wealth and so I understand where they're coming from in terms of coming to Fiji to start new ventures with a bit of cash injection to the community. So their their expectations are different to the older migrants who wanted to start a new family. And so they wanted to actually integrate with the local community, understand how they work so they can we can work together for a better future. And they think about Fiji as a whole, not just for their own benefit. Whereas um, I think the new migrants come in with a purpose to make money which is not a bad thing, but I guess sometimes they might forget that the community is impacted and how they bring that cash injection could play a big role in how um, Fiji turns out to be in the future. Do you think the local communities maybe are getting resentful? I hear a bit of that because I do speak to the local Fijians who I'm close with, and I do wonder what their thoughts are from their perspective. What are they thinking of the new migrants that come in with a different cultural perspective? There is a bit of resistance, but they also know that they bring in lots of job security and wealth to the country. So they accept that. They accept that their Fijian government is doing this for the benefit of the the country as a whole, but they do voice the opinion that perhaps they could try and integrate uh, and learn more of the Fijian culture before they implement any new procedures and businesses into Fiji. Yeah, and I think it's something that can be said for all people who go to another place to start business or whatever. There's a huge difference between just seeing somewhere as an opportunity and just taking advantage of your power and wealth and influence there's a big difference between that and actually going in and actually connecting with the local community. Like that just shows so much more respect and also your willingness to invest in the place as a whole and to learn the culture, learn the language rather than just see it as like a business opportunity. Yeah. I mean, having that connection is so important, especially for uh, the Fijian culture. You really need to understand uh, all the cultural expectations when you go into because it is their land their motherland and you are 
an outsider. So you need to do your research, understand what is needed and how you, how to work with them because you do need them to be on your side if you are starting a new business because they are the ones that will be helping you run part of the business. So if they can trust you, they will work you know, just as hard for you. But if you lose that trust, then it, the outcome is not going to be as great. How do you feel then looking back on your whole journey? So your parents moving to Fiji and then having you and your brother in Fiji. Do you feel a sense of gratitude towards your upbringing? I definitely wouldn't have it any other way. I really am thankful that I grew up in a small community um, kind of situation. I think I would have turned out differently otherwise, but it just makes you appreciate the connection with other people more. And on reflection, you don't rely on the materialistic things in life. You create stronger connections with friends because I still keep a lot of my Fiji friends and we still talk to each other quite frequently. We go back for weddings and it's just like we never left the country. I think that connection tends to be lost in bigger cities. So they, yeah, I would, wouldn't change it for any, any other way. Nice. Thank you so much for sitting down with me and sharing a little bit of your story and journey so far. I don't think we really talk much about your experiences in Fiji, even though we've known each other for 15 years or something yeah. more than that. And we hang out relatively often. So yeah, it's been super nice to learn that. So yeah, thank you so much for sharing. No, thanks for having me. I mean, I, yeah, it's not a topic that we, I usually talk about as well because no one really asked, so I wouldn't really talk about it. So it's a nice opportunity to share my experiences and hopefully shed some light for everyone else. Yeah, also, you know, like you were saying, you said something before about the smallness of the community in Fiji. And do you remember when I moved to Tokyo and I was looking for an apartment and I went to, I literally just went to some random real estate office and I sat down and the girl helping me was one of your old school friends from Fiji. Yes, Lume. Yeah. I remember. It was the most random occurrence ever. Yeah. I, I, um, I remember Lume and when you mentioned her name, I messaged her straight away and and it's just that connection. And we haven't spoken in like years. I knew she was dating a Japanese guy and I didn't know she had moved there. So yeah, it was so such, bizarre. Yeah, and, such a random coincidence. <laughs> but it's it's funny how when I messaged her, it just felt like we just picked up from where we last spoke yeah. back in Fiji. That's so nice. Um, so that connection is still there, yeah. which is great. Awesome. <laughs> but yeah, she managed to find me a great apartment. And Yay. I had a lot of trust in her because I was like, she can't screw me over because she knows someone I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Not Your Token Minority. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button so you don't miss an episode and make sure to follow along on social media. Just search for Not Your Token Minority podcast on Facebook and Instagram. I'm always looking for people to interview as well, so if you or someone you know want to have a chat, then send me a message at hello at notyourtokenminority.com. Hold up. 